five, four, three, two, one. Bazinga. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Now Showing podcast. I'm your host, as always, Sam Houston. I'm joined today by the stone to my Thompson, by the blunt to my Krasinski, the uh, the wonderful Lewis. Hello. I, I, I'd like to think that I'm Krasinski in that comparison. Yeah, I actually was going to say that. In my <laughs> head, I had that ready, and I accidentally used to Krasinski. But to be fair, I've got the beard, so that's true. that's yeah. the... Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and we're get, going to talking about, as I just uh, alluded to, Cruella and A Quiet Place Part Two, um, which means that this ta- is the first time that two episodes, the the, the, the the title of the episode will contain films only released in the cinema since Tenet in August. That's the last time because everything else has either been with a Netflix film or with an old film or with a re-release. It's the first time we're doing our main thing on films just recently since the Tenet episode. Does Cruella count because it's on Disney Plus as well? I guess. In which case, actually, yeah, that's a good point. Actually, we'll we'll actually touch on that in the future. So maybe we maybe we aren't doing that. So I guess you're right. Uh, How are you doing today, man? Uh, I'm good, thank you. I've had a good day. I went to the cinema. I like going to the cinema, so I'm okay. How are you? Um, yeah, I, I'm I'm doing pretty well. Uh, I've got some cinema-related stories that I'll tell with the with the films, but uh, yeah, I'm doing pretty happy. I've got, I'm Ooh. going to my first football match since December tomorrow. Oh, that's exciting! I that have not exciting. been to a football match since the early 2000s, probably as a kid. Oh, you have been to a football match though. Yeah, I have. My, I used to have a season ticket, and my dad, me oh, and my really? dad, used to go. Yeah, you must be uh, you must be so let down. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, what have you watched this week? Right, so we're okay. I'll, yeah. I'll give a, a little thing. We're recording this about two days after we recorded the last episode. We're going to release it a few days later, so there's a bit of a gap. But we're recording this right after. But you have seen something between the two, haven't you? I have, yeah. Obviously not much because, like you say, it's only been two days. But I did go to the cinema to see. Well, I also saw Judas and the Black Messiah that we actively oh, spoke right, about yeah. two days ago when uh, you reviewed it and said it was so much better in the cinema and I went to go and see it in the cinema and I completely agree like I was saying last week I I didn't have that love for it last time I did I do now it's like it's my third favorite now it was it was my second to least favorite last time but it's my third favorite of the best picture nominees now I love it so much now I can really appreciate it and you were completely right about the music the music in the cinema hits so good compared to watching it on my laptop i don't know what i was doing the first time i watched it but i was just not into it i wasn't feeling it whatsoever i loved going to see it in the cinema um yeah yeah on the opposite side of that coin i went to see first cow which i watched on my laptop a few months ago at an online film festival and i loved it when i watched it on my laptop i didn't like it when i went to the cinema it was really yeah uh, that never happens i don't know it was just i was bored when i was in the cinema it's one of those films where it does have a plot and it does have a story but not a heavy one that you have to like focus on and follow and it just like minari yeah like minari yeah that's a good comparison it's um it just it did not captivate me it didn't keep me interested i was i was just waiting for it to end and that is a bad sign mm. but i loved it when i watched it on my laptop and I remember saying it's either a film that you'll love or you'll hate and the first time I watched it I loved it and this time I just did not enjoy it at all 
it was really slow and i don't know whether it was just my mood like i was in a bad mood when i watched it in the cinema but i just couldn't wait for it to be over and which that's really interesting actually yeah because i remember jordan you know i was i said once uh when we were doing a podcast jordan and and he said some things uh he said oh you know you have to see this in the cinema or something i can't remember in stella or something you have to see the cinema and i said well, there's not many films that people say you have to watch it on the telly on your, on your telly at home, is there? There's not that many films that that people don't say yeah, there in the cinema. That's but true. clearly, we've found one. I, I wonder if I mean I'm probably digging too, but I wonder if there's something to do with the the unusual aspect ratio because I always think it's weird when you've got weird aspect ratios in the cinema. Don't you think? Like I can deal with it on a computer, but and I'm not thinking it's a bad thing, but it's always really noticeable in the cinema when you've got something straight because first cow's full uh, three, isn't it? Yeah, full um, three. I don't. I don't yeah, know whether did. that did play an impact because it is still one of like what you, what seeing it on a cinema screen. It is visually one of the best films of the year. The cinematography in First Cow is unbelievably good. It's up there with Nomadland and Minari for me. But it was just the story. It didn't keep me interested. It didn't do anything. So I, I don't feel like it was the aspect ratio. I feel like it must have just been my mood. Like I just wasn't into yeah, yeah. it. But I just really and I was so excited to go and see it. Um, I actively hunted down a cinema that was showing it because nowhere is showing it and I didn't enjoy it and I just wanted it to end so I was dead disappointed with it but which is weird because like I say I loved it the first time so what went wrong I don't know but yeah that's um that's interesting I, I saw um yeah I don't know if the aspect actually matters but I was going I was then thinking because I when I saw Frankie the other day and it was in I think one bought a one uh, 1.66 or whatever that aspect ratio is the European mm. one that one yeah um, and it looked really weird on the cinema screen but it, you know the film looked beautiful despite the problems I had with it and I was thinking I always and I always notice it way more and now Baby Teeth's got uh, is in 1.66 so that's that's where I think but uh, it's just um, always like strange because you're so used to like you know that that almost um, you know, uniform look to to films these days but I, I am looking as I said the cinematography is, is great in First Cow and I'm looking forward to watching it I will give that a view hopefully in the next few week or so uh, if I can because I, I haven't seen it and uh, there's a lot of cinemas that are showing that uh, new Billy Piper from Rare Beasts that I want to see they're also showing First Cow so I might try and stack them both against each other um, but yeah it, it's int- that's, that's a very intriguing I don't think I've ever heard someone say they disliked it more in cinema but um, I know I, yeah. I, am, I am one of those people that's like every film is better when you go and see it in the cinema yeah, yeah. but this just didn't do it for me I don't know what happened interesting um, as for me I haven't seen anything um, film wise um, but I did I did actually start watching the ni- the 60s Star Trek which I kind of alluded to off pod oh, last yeah. week um, but I, I watched two episodes That's... of the 60s Star Trek um, and I, I've got to say you know like I was talking to my mum and she's actually I've, I didn't know that my mum was a big Star Trek fan but I was talking to her apparently she hears and she's watched them all and that and I, I was like oh you know, she was like maybe don't start with the 60s because you know maybe it'll put you off or whatever and it's all very dated but I watched 60s Doctor Who and it's like that's black and white it's from like four years before and it's like serialised in like six parts so when I'm I'm expecting to like hate Star Trek but it's only 50 minutes long per episode per story it's all wrapped up within one story and it's in colour it kind of is pretty damn good compared to the 60s stuff that I'm used to watching so yeah I'm actually enjoying it it's very camp it's very self aware um but it's it's and okay. It's a little bit sexist. You know, it's, it's quite obviously a bit sexist, um, and it's so funny when you have these like because obviously like it's shot on film, so it, it's been 
put into HD and then you have these shots of these like normal blokes you know Spock or whoever and it's in like proper HD in a proper sharp and then it pans <laughs> over to Kirk and it's like they put Vaseline on the lens to like soften him up it's so <laughs> funny like it's so obvious they've used a soft lens on him and the women um, but yeah no it's a good laugh and I will try and get through more of it because you know it's something that's just a little bit kitschy but it's, it's good fun so yeah um, so Star Trek I think we're about to start our reviews eight minutes in, which might be the record for a national podcast, yeah. which only takes about 22 <laughs> minutes to get into a review. Um, so we're going to talk about Cruella first. Um, and I'm going to start Cruella by not talking about Cruella um, because I'm actually going to ask you uh, in a minute um, about when uh, you really felt a, a cinema moment. So what I mean is that I've been to the cinema maybe six, seven times since it reopened last week. Um, but only today that I really feel like a moment that made me think, wow, I'm back in the cinema. And I, I, was, I talked about that during, during the Quiet Place review because uh, it happened during that. There was a point where I was in the cinema and I was like, wow, the cinema's back. So I'll ask you first, do you, do, have you had a moment like that? Was it just when you walked into the first film you saw or has there been a moment like, you know, you heard popcorn or, you know, something? Is there, is there, has there been a cinema moment for you? I think it was today actually in a quiet place because every in fact no it wasn't it was cruella it was definitely cruella because when i first okay, walked into nomadland it was very busy and it was the middle of the day but you could tell that everyone was very apprehensive and it was like oh this is the first screening of the day the first day that they've opened let's all be quiet and everything but i walked into cruella and it had sold out with social distancing obviously but it had sold out people were mm-hmm. piling in, families were piling in, groups of people were piling in, and they all had snacks and they all had popcorn. And it was the big one of the big screens in the cinema. It's a 14-screen cinema, the one near me. And it was one of the biggest screens that they've got that's not IMAX. And it was full. And it was like, this is, this is it. This is, cinema is back. And it was such a nice yeah. feeling yeah. to be sat. Like, when, last year, for a lot of the films... I was going to see all of the weird re-releases, like, you know, films from the 60s and the 40s that they were re-releasing, and I was sat on my own in a row, and for the first time in ages, someone else was sat on the same row as me, and it was like, oh, that's a weird feeling, because I like to sit against a wall, um, so no one ever sits next to me, but people were sat next to me, and I was like, oh, that's weird, it's busy. This is busy. You like to sit against the wall. I do. I like to sit against the wall at the back. Really, I sit. I when I can, I sit in the absolute middle. Oh no, I I hate sitting in the middle. I will sit I, up on I against the wall. Furthest the seat back in the middle. Yeah, I go at the back as well, but I go furthest seat back in the middle so I get the perfect screen. And I didn't have that today in Quiet Place because it was it was busy. And I'll talk about that when I talk about my yeah. cinema moment after we talk about Corella because uh, I'll, I'll do that as my preamble in in a Quiet Place. Um, but yeah, um, I I was go yeah that that is a, a, I see it on Twitter all the time. It seems that most people don't go at the back. Most people that like on film Twitter and shit, I would see seem to go like in the middle of the middle, you know. Yeah, but, try um, and get the perfect view of the screen. But I, I think the back's the coolest though. Yeah, it, it, it is. The screen seem the biggest. Yeah, and I I I am a weirdo because I sit against the wall. But yeah, that is weird. I I sit right at the back because that's the best. I could I hate sitting anywhere further close than the back. Like, even the <laughs> third to last row feels weird. 
Oh, when I went to go watch The Unholy with my flatmate last week, I'd like to give an apology to my flatmate for insulting her last week. Oh, that was uncalled for. She got annoyed at me for doing that. I apologise. Uh, when I went to watch The Unholy, I accidentally got mixed up on the app about what side the screen was. Oh, no. And I accidentally no. booked, like, two, two rows behind the front. It was, like, right, like, oh, my neck Oh, God. Hurt. Oh, I, I know, had, hate great. that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um... But yeah, I, I when I went to the Lord of the Rings last year, uh, watched all three days. Across the three days, I was with two friends. I think across the three screenings, there were two people. I think there was two people in the middle film, and in the first and last film, there was no one in there at all, other than us. Yeah, that's what it was like for me. I went on my own, and it was desolate. I went to see Lord of the Rings yeah. as well. It was desolate. Yeah. Yeah, and, and Judas, actually, last week was absolutely packed. Um, but Cruella wasn't, actually, for me. Cruella was oh, basically right. empty. There's about six people in there. Um, but, yeah, so I... my, my I'd say we get into our review quickly. Luckily, I found a way to make it take longer because I'm going to tell a story that doesn't really matter that much. <laughs> so I walked down to the cinema the other day, um, yesterday, to watch Cruella, and I left my house. I, I knew there was loads of screenings, and my Wi-Fi wasn't working in my flat, so I went downstairs, and I thought, I'll just start walking, and, you know, I'm sure there'll be a screen on because there's so many screenings of it. So I was walking down to the cinema, and I looked at my... And it was about 20 past 5, and I noticed there was one at 5, one at 6. So I was like, okay, I need to waste some time. So I went to the, the Starbucks in Cineworld, right, in Wembley. And I got I went up to the, to the stand. I don't go to coffee shops often. I don't drink coffee or anything. And I, I looked up there, and I went, uh, can I have a... Uh, grande caramel frappuccino please and, like, and they're like okay do you want uh, coffee in it I was like yeah do you want cream on the top yeah do you want caramel sauce yeah they asked me about six questions yeah no yeah 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 and then that'll be 78 pounds please or however much it is you know, the, you know it costs an arm and <laughs> a leg waited about half an hour for him to actually make it and I walked over and sat down on a, a bench and I was looking around and I was, there was like loads and loads of couples and I was the only person on my own sitting on this, on this in this Starbucks. I was like, oh, that's a bit, a bit embarrassing. I was like, oh. So I put my put my, my, uh, my cup down, put my straw in, picked it up, accidentally squeezed it a bit as I picked it up and then without any touching my lips, the entire thing just dropped, poured <laughs> all over my legs and shorts, completely just oh, covered God. in a tsunami of extremely expensive <laughs> caramel frappuccino I just leave so I was like I was like shitting myself I was like, I was like I just I, if I look around people will notice I just tried to look straight forward and just piss myself laughing and then ran off to the toilet and then had to go sit in Cruella for two hours stinking of caramel which is not the worst thing to smell of stinking of caramel that I paid about five six quid for that I can't drink um, and it, I've got to say that was my villain origin story so that kind of there's a there's a subgenre of of white men getting angry and, and going insane. Shops. Taxi driver, Joker, falling down, American Psycho. There's a subgenre, The Shining. You know, of of normal blokes just becoming unhinged. Unhinged, for example. Yeah. Nobody. Yeah. The the new screenplay that I'm writing is me going insane after spending seventy quid <laughs> in the Frappuccino. And spilling anyway. it all over yourself. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ, man! My socks are literally. Oh, it was in I, your socks. <laughs> everything. It was basically ice cream. I the other. I, I just when I came home, I just threw my clothes off, and I woke up this morning and realized that I have a, a sock that's like basically orange now. It's like <laughs> like brown, like just coated with caramel shit. So I had the. I was just scared of having oh, to wash them. Oh God. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> the film. That's only four minutes to talk about that. So finally, we're going to talk about Cruella. 
Cruella, uh, which is the 2021, which is not a rare thing, which is something we don't say often, uh, film directed by uh, Craig Gillespie, uh, starring Emma Stone as Cruella de Vil. It's a uh, prequel to 101 Dalmatians. Uh, it's one of Disney's line of live action films that's included the likes of Cinderella and Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin, Lion King all that stuff uh, and it's, this newest one is Cruella it's set in the 70s as we see Cruella de Vil's um, backstory she is a play by mistake she's a young uh, girl called Estella who very early in the film um uh, is not my, very minor plot suppose it's the first 10 minutes um, when her she is very um devilish at school she's she thinks she gets she gets kicked out of school uh, a series of uh, situations lead to her um being involved in accidentally killing her mum um but with a, a load of dalmatians kill her mum when they're trying to chase her uh, at a party uh, she ends up having to go feral and meets uh, two young uh, street children um uh, and then the film picks up two young thieves and the film picks up uh, in her life when she's in her 20s, uh, trying to emerge into the fashion industry, um, despite the fact that she's a thief, and being assisted by uh, Paul Waterhauser and Joel Fry, um, who play uh, the two thieves. Now, she's up against a um, the one she tries to work for, one of the big uh, fashion designers in 70s London, um, fiction, of course, a uh, character played by Emma Thompson called the Baroness, um, and this film kind of revolves around uh, her trying to build up an industry whilst dealing with the very uh, evil personality of Emma Thompson's Baroness. Um, now, that was a bit of a, a jumbled synopsis, but I'm sure that basically gave it's the details as, of It's what as happened. good as you could get, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, I will say that um, whilst it's had generally positive reviews, I have seen a number of mixed things uh, from people on the internet. Now, we will not be giving any later plot spoilers um, but um, can you give your review uh, your thoughts your emerging thoughts on Cruella yes my thoughts on Cruella are very complex oh actually I will say as, oh. you, as you said earlier um, this of course is in the cinema now it's one of the first big films in the cinema but also is available on Disney Plus Access for 20 quid so you can pay 20 quid to watch this at home or you can go pay £10 to go watch in the cinema so unless you've got a family of like five it's probably you know, more enjoyable to go to the cinema. Anyway, yeah. carry on. So you can pay 20 quid to watch it at home or you can pay 20 quid and get two months of a cinema membership and watch as many films yeah, as you true. want. But yeah. anyway... Watch this film a hundred times. Yeah, but instead of just ranting about Disney, <laughs> my right. thoughts on Cruella are complex because we even mentioned it when we were talking about our most anticipated films of the year. I said I'm very, very hyped for it because the trails look great and the crew and the cast behind it are incredible. I watched it and I liked it a lot. I thought it was very, very good. It's easily Disney's best live action film in a while or live action f version of an animated character, those live action films. And that isn't saying much, but it's still a compliment because this is very, very good. I do have a lot of issues with it, but for some reason, and I have no idea why, none of them affect my enjoyment of it. Like, mm. I didn't like... I, th I know this is an unpopular opinion, but I find I found Emma Stone a bit cringy sometimes when she was being Cruella and she was being evil. I found it a bit cringy. But again, for some reason, it did not affect my enjoyment of it in the slightest. I still loved it. I 
I, I, and a lot of people have had this issue. I don't like the fact that Cruella, whose name is literally Cruel Devil, was really sympathetic. Like I, in this film specifically, not in other iterations of the character or things mm-hmm. that she will go on to do potentially in this film specifically she doesn't do anything that's particularly bad she kidnaps some dogs which is probably the worst thing that she does but even then she looks after them and she makes sure that they get get walked and get fed they even make a point of make a saying like you need to go and walk the dogs and it's oh, like this is cruella deville why do you why are you bothered about walking a dog like you should be, and her best friend is a dog. Like she loves this dog that she's got, and I'm like, you're Cruella Deville. You're meant to hate dogs and hate Dalmatians. Yes. What, what's going on? And I didn't like that aspect of it. But again, I still loved the film, and I still loved the characterization of Cruella and Estella and everything. Another issue that I had yeah. is, I think that Emma Stone. I mean, Emma Thompson was doing what Emma Stone should have been doing. She was playing a truly despicable fashion designer with no redeeming qualities. That's what Cruella Deville should be in this film for me. That's what I would what would wanted have would have wanted her to be. A completely irredeemable, horrible fashion designer who just doesn't care about anything. And that's what Emma Thompson was. And that's not what Emma Stone was. So, I, in a way, Emma Stone... Emma, Oh, God, I keep getting it mixed up. In a way, Emma Thompson was a better Cruella than Cruella because Cruella wasn't being Cruella DeVille yet because she isn't Cruella DeVille yet. And that's one mm. of the issues I have with all of these prequels that Disney are doing. But having said all of that, I loved Cruella. I thought it was so good. I thought... I don't, I don't understand the complaints about it being so long. I think it justifies its runtime. It is very long for a Cruella film, but... I didn't even know it was long. Uh, that's a common one. I didn't realise it was long. Yeah, exactly. Oh, really? I just looked at I just saw that 134 minutes. I, yeah. I actually really didn't realise. I thought it was yeah. like 98 minutes or something. Exactly. Okay. It, it's a really... It's a, it's a long film for a Disney prequel, but I think it uses its runtime really, really well. And like you say, you didn't even notice it, so... It's clearly not that bad, and I think I love mm. the comedy in it. I think Paul Walter Hauser is that his name? Paul Walter Hauser. He yeah. is great in this. He's so funny in it, and I don't feel like often with these Disney films they make the comedy is really like out of place and it doesn't make sense. I didn't get that with this. I loved the uh, Paul Walter Hauser and Joel Fry. If those are both names. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, I got it right first time. That's great. Um, <laughs> I loved both of their comedy timing, their comedic timing, and their comedy that they brought. I thought they were great. I loved the the costumes were incredible. Um, the makeup was incredible. The acting was incredible. I thought Emma Thompson and Emma Stone, even though I said I found Emma Stone a bit cringy at some specific moments, um, as a whole, Emma Stone was incredible. Emma Thompson was incredible. It was. It, I really, really loved it. I didn't hate it in any way, even though there are a lot of things I didn't like about it. Like, one of the things that I didn't like about it, though, that did impede my enjoyment of it, was the way that the outfits were used, because some of the outfits in this film are unbelievable. They are so, so good, and they are so extravagant and fantastic, and we see them for, like, 20 seconds, and then we never see them again. And I wish 
there were fewer outfits, but every outfit got the moment like the dress that she wears where she burns it and it turns into the red dress i wish every outfit that she wore got a moment like that where we can really appreciate it for a couple of minutes instead she shows up shows off a new outfit and then we don't see it again and i didn't like that i wish that they'd have given every outfit a proper scene and a proper minute to let it sink in and let us enjoy it because the outfits are unbelievable and they're so intricate and well made and when you look at the pictures of them they are fantastic so i don't like the fact that we only got to see them for a couple of seconds i wish that they would have given us more time to sit with it but for some reason all of the complaints that i have have no impact on my enjoyment whatsoever apart from the outfit one i wish there was more outfit like more time to look at the outfits but i loved it a lot i thought it was easily disney's best live action film in years i don't know how much you agree with that but i thought it was easily disney's best I, I'm certainly not as much a fan as my mum is, who's an absolute super fan. But I don't mind the first Maleficent. I think the first Maleficent is quite good. Um, oh, that's I hated true. It when yeah. I watched it when I was a kid, but yeah. now looking back, I don't mind it. Um, yeah. So, so Cruella. Um, well, what was I said? I was in the cinema and there was, there was six people, and there were kind of, or oh, there were, I don't know. But there was a group of children, right, with someone's parent, two parents, and about five kids. Oh god! They're on my row down long, uh, down low, and there was a couple group of uh, girls below me, another group. So there was a, a, a thing, and I thought to myself, I really could just hate this. Like I really could not my let myself like it, which I think has always been the case with the Little Women, where I, I just didn't want to like it more than I actually had any yeah. problems with it. And I feel like if I'd seen Cruella when I was seventeen. You know, it is camp, and it is about fashion, and it is um, very over the top, and it is very Disney. Um, I think when I was, if I watched this when I was sixteen, I would have hated it. Even if I didn't, I would at least tell everyone I hated it. <laughs> but I made the conscious decision to let myself try, yeah. and, try and be as, as biased as possible, and, and I don't regret that. This is easily one of the most fun films of the year. That it will be go down as one of the most fun films of the year. It was one of the most fun films I've seen in a while. And when it come you know, when it comes to walking out of the cinema, you know, the reactions, you know, you know, I said about how I walked out of the cinema with tears in my eyes and felt very passionate at the end of Jews and the Messiah. I thought um, you were talking about Cruella then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And when I, or when I walked out of um, Spiral from the Book of Sora, I felt like I was going to, um, you know, throw up. Yeah. When, I walk, when I walked out of Cruella, um, you know, it, it was just a, a smile beaming across my face. I, I just, it was just so fun. I, I just felt like, you know, I'm going to rewatch this because it's just one of the most enjoying films, enjoyable films, um, you know, that would have been in the cinema for, for a long time. Um, you know, for a similar sense of fun in a different way, but in a similar sense of fun that I do when I get when I watch Tenet in the cinema, where it's just like a really enjoyable ride. So whilst there are some problems of, uh, you know, in general, it, it, most of them except for one don't seem to impede my liking of the of the film overall. Um, so. I think that, as you as you said, there's this thing about Cruella not really being Cruella um, that I just want to address is that I think if you think of this film strictly as a 101 Dalmatians uh, prequel, it does have some problems with characters and how they how they you know fit with each other and you know what this character Cruella is. I think when you throw that away, when you don't think about 101 Dalmatians, when you see this as a, a completely almost as you know they keep saying it's not a remake it's not a remake like it's a good thing if you think of this as a remake i think it is a little bit better because i didn't if i i try and push that out of my head the, the feel like the need for corella to be this one person i quite like the idea 
that everybody in the world, in our real world, thinks of Corella as bad guy, but then you actually see the two sides are in this film that she actually isn't, and that's all a big show, and there's actually a, a worse one. I quite mm. like that dynamic, so I never really had the problem. Emma Thompson's uh, is excellent in almost everything she's ever been in. I mean, she's an absolutely exceptional actress, yeah. and she does it here that that um, complete um, lack of empathy, uh, that complete um, just ultra bitch. Uh, that she plays here is is excellent and she really really pulls off the role well um emma stone of course you know i'm not just as much you know she she um as as the people on twitter would say these days understood the assignment um she she really suited up in a few different characters throughout the film you know she's she's two these two major sides of herself and she she plays off really well and and you really um not really a plot spoiler but you know there is this dynamic of corilla and estella um her kind of two sides of personality and you almost really don't like when she's Corella you kind of almost want her to be a stellar all the time and that is what it wants to do that's what it's trying to do and I think that that's such a strong you know I think that's a directorial thing more than anything uh, as well as you know sense performance but yeah the acting in this is top class with the one notable exception that I'm talking about um but as you say from the costume perspective um you know, for me, I, I I didn't think about oh, I wish it was more. I kind of like the flashing of just seeing different costumes. Like, oh, that's a cool costume. Oh, that's a good costume. Oh, look, she's like Michael Jackson here. Oh, look, she's wearing that. Oh, she's got this big flamey thing. You know, I, I like I like the flash in the three of the costumes. Um, I, I thought that the, you know this is obviously this has got to be nominated for a costume design Oscar. Oh yeah, it. yeah, um, absolutely. You think it probably you probably win it unless something comes out of the yeah, something massively completely. knocks it out of the bag. Um, so. Yeah, and from a technical standpoint, you, I really, really want to applaud what, what Craig Gillespie's done, who's obviously an excellent director, and I, I know that, of course, from, from, from his other films, you know, I, Tonya, for example. Um, but yeah, he, I think he really uh, makes this feel... The pacing is excellent, of course, it feels so much shorter than it is, which is a massive compliment. Um, and the um, the editing as well, um, who I'm not sure who did that, but it felt joyous and it felt like... I don't know, it's, it's the same thing I said about Count of Birds of Prey, really. It just felt like just you just was hanging on to every scene and it just felt just fun um and i think that this works on a lot of levels i think it works for old people and young people um yeah it's definitely one of the better things that that disney have done in that respect um the um jukebox soundtrack was absolutely excellent i mean the, the music in this is yes. so good it's, it's just yes. it's just a hit after hit that's just so you know 70s um and yeah I, I just you know i will say that um i thought that some of the child acting at the start wasn't great but you can kind of let it off because they're kids um yeah but who is this my person big that you flaw hated? with the film and i people could say it's for comedic value and it is Mary Poppins-esque. It's Dick Van Dyke-esque. <laughs> Paul Waterhouse puts on one of the worst accents I've ever seen for an English person. And it completely overwhelmed me. And I will say, I actually think I enjoyed the film less because I was thinking at the time, like, oh, please stop talking. It was so bad. It's like someone making fun of me. That's what it sounds <laughs> like. And, it um, was a horrific and, and, accent, I'll give you that. Yeah, and it, uh, all of the comedy... It didn't really hit because I wasn't thinking about the words he was saying. I was thinking about how much I wanted to punch him for doing <laughs> insult to the city I live in. And um, it doesn't help that he, he also outs himself, the, the character outs himself as a Tottenham fan at one point. Of course, that, that didn't <gasps> win him any points. Because um, there's a point where they, some dogs jump on a, some dogs are crying, they turn the telly on, and they stop crying when, the, when there's football on. He goes, You aren't all bad then. Uh, you're Tottenham fans, so you're not all bad then. I thought, 
fuck off. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, his accent really did let me down, actually. I genuinely made me enjoy the film less because it was so bad. And I thought to myself, Joel Fry, who's an excellent actor, and I'm very much looking forward to the horror film, I can't remember the name, uh, that's coming out very soon. Um, let me just check out the name of that. Uh, is uh, In the Earth that's coming out the ben, new Ben Wheatley film that he's he's coming he's starring in oh, yeah. coming out soon I'm very much yeah. looking forward to that um, I think Joel Fry is an excellent actor and I wish they could have paired him with someone that in my opinion everyone seems to be loving Paul Warhauser. Um I would just like to have seen him paired with an English person that sounds thing it's just because he can't do the accent so <laughs> um, but plot wise I, you know, I didn't really have many big okay people have been taking bits and pieces i.e. the beginning bit with her mum dying and like posting on Twitter as like a kind of gotcha but then when you actually look at it in context, it never feels too out of place. It feels right for the story. It never feels too shoved down your throat. And the way the plot resolves without there being a big, you know, re- revelation or whatever, without there being the obvious twist, um, actually means that the, the beginning's fine, I think. Um, but yeah, much like you say, it just just the only word I would could really use to describe Cruella is fun. Yeah, I agree. It, it was very, very fun. I think... Um... It it was fun and it was well made as well. There, are, like I say, there are issues, but they're all superficial issues. The uh, I also thought the editing was great. It was edited by the her name is Tatiana S. Regal, uh, who mm-hmm. edited I Tonya and was nominated for an Oscar for I Tonya. Oh, right, yeah. um, the the other thing that I thought was really good technically was the cinematography because I thought in these Disney live action remakes that they're doing, they've all looked quite bland like they just look a bit generic uh, but the cinematography was really great I'm not sure who did the cinematography for it but it was the same person who did the cinematography I think for I, Tonya as well to be honest um, but I can't remember what his name is but um, I thought the cinematography was great but the costumes the uh, unbelievable costumes are the most notable part of this for me um, it was well I think that yeah. on, a, on a wider scale um, the costumes, but the production design in general. Yeah, that is um, true. The, you know, yeah, you know, the costumes are you know part of the production design on, on all um, you know general front, um, but it creates this. Of course, of course, you know, I was born in two thousand, um, but it creates a such an iconic view of seventies London. It's so that's that's so believable and so true to what we know and true to what I know, and it, it's. You know, and you know, being you know, it helps. I guess that we're English, and it helps that I'm a Londoner and such. And but it just feels so right, right? You know what I mean? It just feels very timely. I think the, the production design and the costume stuff, very, very good, very, very Bowie. It's just, I uh, just ah, uh, cracking, man. Yeah, I agree. And the, it was very punk as well. It was everyone's obviously yes, making yes. the comparison to Vivian Westwood because it is. It's very punk seventies London. And the the one of the main reasons I was excited for this was because of the people that were making it. Fiona Crombie is the production designer, and she was the production designer on The Favourite, which is one of the most elaborate, has some of the most elaborate production design in a film of recent years. Gorgeous production design. And then the costume designer is Jenny Bevin, or Bevin who has been nominated for 10 Oscars and has won twice so she knows what she's doing and this costume this these costumes that she makes for this are just impeccable and they're so some of them are so punk some of them are so classic some of them are a cross between the two and it's so 
like she really tells a story with the costumes that they have where you know the baroness has very classic royal fashion and then cruella has this new futuristic for the 70s you know 70s punk look and it's so so good everything about this looks incredible i can't get over how good this film looks and how well it captured that 70s punk london vibe and and i think on the comedy front which you said about earlier we can't deny it is cheesy like this film oh is a yeah cheesy. it's very very cheesy and that's why the accent didn't bother well. me that's why the accent didn't yeah. bother me because it's very cheesy and it's a, like a stupid film and it knows that it is so that's why the accent never bothered me yeah, but yeah, I mean, yeah, it did me. But <laughs> I, I didn't mind the 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 act the 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 comedy. I think that I embraced the cheese. I think it it was very self aware, um, and I, I think um, you know it, it's just it's, yeah, it's just <laughs> I'm gonna say it again, it's just a really enjoyable film. Man. I re- I really would recommend this. I, I think that um, I think is it time to start? I mean, I think she's already won Best Actress, but I think we need to you know make sure that everyone is really aware that Emma Stone is one of the best actresses in Hollywood right now. Oh yeah, absolutely. In, um, this is one of her best roles yet as well. This is mm. an amazing role that she does. It's like you say, like you said earlier, she's really playing two sides of the same person with this Estella Cruella divide that they've got, and she pulls off two characters really that are the same person, but have completely different characterizations and have completely different mannerisms. And the way that she does that is unbelievable. And even though she does have an Oscar, there is like this attitude that she's just this young, up-and-coming actress, and she's not. She's one of the best actresses working right now, and this is just for the she, for the I proof. Was, it doesn't help that she's been in a lot of shit films. I, I think if you look yeah, at her filmography, true. there's an awful lot of shite in there. But that's not really her fault. That's her agent's fault more than anything. So, um, Emma, sort your agent out. But <laughs> the yeah, yeah. Once again, of course, you know this. This obviously won't be talked about in Oscar conversation and stuff because this film isn't that kind of film I don't think I think um, I no I think it will I think it will I think in it will the production and stuff for the technical categories it, yeah yeah it's not like yeah. The, oh yeah for the Emma acting no. nomination yeah. or is she yeah not for the um, acting but even though I think Emma Thompson puts in a thing that's probably yeah, I think, worthy of being Oscar nominated for many years yeah I agree I think Emma Thompson was the best acting in this film She, for me and maybe it's because of the character that she was playing as well she was playing that overbearing character but every scene I was just focused on her like when it was Estella and the Baroness I was just focused on Emma Thompson she is the funniest part of the film yeah well. Emma Thompson's character is the funniest part I think it kind of almost plays into this 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 idea that you know, and, and it's very you know that the people that abuse were abused. You know, that, that's the kind of thing is that in real life that most people that you know hit their kids were hit when they were kids, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, um, it's that kind of thing that like she's a bitch, Cruella in you know later in Hundred Animations because she's been treated like one the whole life and she's been dealing with this this abusive figure in Emma Thompson's character and uh, I think the idea that all of the inspiration for what she becomes we can kind of see her inspiration for what she becomes in Hundred Animations here like she obviously takes an awful lot of you know you know out of, you know pages out of of the Baroness's book. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I for one enjoyed what a lot of people disliked. You described earlier as, as kind of Emma Thompson playing Cruella. I very much enjoyed that. But I also shared what I, uh, my the feeling of what you post on Twitter, which is Glenn Close uh, produced this. Uh, oh, this is the most frustrating cameo? thing. Yes. Yeah. Why didn't they give her a little cameo? Not only but I, did I they not give her a cameo. Why they wouldn't, not only did they not give her a cameo, 
they had a scene where lots of people were dressed like Cruella Deville, and I was sat there in the cinema like, this is where Glenn Close is going to show up. Emma, Tom- Emma Stone is going to bump into someone and she's going to turn around and it's going to be Glenn Close dressed as Cruella Deville and it's going to be the best thing in the film and it doesn't happen she doesn't have anything and it's the m- biggest missed opportunity ever I can see why they don't do it though because it kind of is like a little bit like upstaging her like this is her film getting the old one in I can kind of see why they wouldn't want to but it would have been a nice touch I think no I disagree I can't see why they wouldn't have done it <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay 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 so um, when we think about ratings uh, for Cruella, um, what what would you go for? Ooh, out of ten, I'd, I'd, honestly, I enjoyed it that much. I'd probably give it as high as like an eight or a seven or an eight, seven point five, seven point five. Wow, okay, that's not that high. <laughs> yeah, that's as high true. as a seven and a I, half. Yeah, yeah I give it. I give true. an eight. I give an eight. Yeah, because I enjoyed it a lot, but I do have a lot of issues with it. But I still enjoyed it a lot. So you know what? Yeah, yeah I'll give it an just, eight. I'll give it an yeah. eight. I'm going to go rewatch it. One of my friends said they want to watch it. I'm going to rewatch yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. So me that, too. that answers the rewatchability. Because of how fun it is, because of how fast paced it is, because of the, the, the enjoyable editing, um, because of all the, the just how you know much it breezes through, it's very, very rewatchable. And I can very much see, um, like, you know, I, I think when we talk about rewatchability, that, that my answer is I'm going to go watch it again because it's, it's very, very fun. And yeah. <laughs> it's just. It's an easy watch. It's a really easy watch. Yeah, I'm going to go and see it again as well, probably soon, because it is, it's a lot of fun and it's easy watching. It doesn't ask you to do a lot of thinking. And I like films mm-hmm. like that. So it's definitely rewatchable. Fair enough. Okay, lastly, we want to be talking about the man of the match and Cruella. Now, I clarify every time it's because in women's football they still say man. But it's quite ironic when it's a film which is obviously all about loads of women. But who's your man of the match here? My man of the match, or as I say, MVP, because I'm more inclusive than you. <laughs> it's not, I, uh... <laughs> MVP is American. This is a British podcast. That's true, You yeah. say person of the match. The person of the match. But that's not what they say <laughs> in the women's football, though. That's not the what man they of the match. The All right, then. The man, the, the, man the man of the match. The man of the match. I desperately want to give it to Emma Thompson, but I have to give it to Jenny Bevan or Bevan, the costume designer because the costumes are what make this so as much as I loved Emma Thompson and she was my favourite part about the film as to watch it without Jenny Bevan Bevan, this film would not be as good as it is, the way that she designs these costumes to fit the vibe of a punk 70s London and shows the character growth of Estella and Cruella is unmatched, unrivaled she is the man of the match person of the match <laughs> I really want to give it to Craig Gillespie because I think it's directed excellently and I really do want to give it to one of the Emmas but I unfortunately it probably may be the one of the only times I'll ever give it to a costume designer but I'm going to give it to Jenny Beaven too I think uh, it's yeah. just it's 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 world class it's, it's, it's obviously a film about costumes so it's going to be but it doesn't take away it's it, the costumes are excellent um, and um, yeah uh, it's Jenny Beaven so yeah, yeah, I agree. Nice, nice. Whew. Okay, I always feel weird. A little, the little break before when I end a review and before I start the next one. I, I know, yeah. A little bit. We need to find a segue. We need to find a way to segue that, into it. Yeah. Well, we should have a musical interlude. <laughs> You'll get sued. 
could just say this, the beat the intro music again. Some nice Disney, some nice Disney music that definitely won't get us copyrighted. Okay, so my cinema moment, of course, I was talking earlier cinema moment. Oh yeah. So. I was saying earlier, you know, so it wasn't the 4DX was cool last week. I really much enjoyed the 4DX. That was cool. Um, and walking in to watch um, Those Who Wish Me Dead, that was cool for the first time. First time I went to the cinema and going back to and Juice about Messiah last week was the first time um, I was in Leicester Square. So obviously it's going to be packed and it was packed. Um, that was the first time it was properly a lot of people in there. But I think it comes from when I watched a Quiet Place double bill today, which you also did. And we're going to be talking about a Quiet Place one briefly, not long, but we're going to briefly and spoilers for a Quiet Place one. Those who spoilers for Quiet Place two, we're going to spoilers for a Quiet Place one. So if you haven't seen that, you know, bear with mind. We are going to be giving spoilers for the end of that film. But we went to this, both of us went to see double bills. You did it at and I did Cine World, and and we went went in there and um, it was it was packed. Um, now I, you know, I live in Wembley. Cineworld Wembley is never packed. Before COVID, Cineworld Wembley wasn't packed. A film would come out, and the next day, you know, there wouldn't be anyone in the cinema. It's only been very, very few times I've been to a cinema in, in Wembley, and it's been packed. I, I think uh, Akira last year was, and I think Saint Maud's opening night was. Other than that, even seeing Rise of Skywalker on the first day, even seeing Knives Out on the first day, even seeing 1917, none of those were packed. But a quiet place double bill was packed. Um, and there was a few things and there was so many of the little annoyances about why I hate going to the cinema that that came up and then and you know and I, and I sat down I couldn't find my seat that was annoying but I sat down and then you had people walking in oh, the, my, one of my biggest pet peeves is when people walk in late and they use their flashlights on their phones oh to god find their yes seat. and they yes. kept and he sat down and the bloke sat down and he was had his flashlight on for ages looking around or something I don't know what he was doing but ages and the film was on the film was playing um, oh, and there was this group of people that sat in the top left and they wouldn't shut up in A Quiet Place it's a film about keeping fucking stum and they weren't they were just being so loud for ages it was pissing me right off and I'm not like that obnoxious because I always my, my thought I was going to make is if I was is that when I was 15 I watched films with like 8 mates all the time I would have been like that so I can't be too annoyed because I would have been like that but this time it was like this is a film where you need to be quiet people eating their food so loudly I mean I yes. had food but yeah. you need to know there's a, there is an art of timing Ti- don't eat during the quiet bits eat during the loud bits quickly during the, some people can't do that clearly people's faces being lit up with their phones loads of things but the one moment that really, really made me feel like I was in a cinema again. There's a moment that I, a, a feeling. What? Why I started talking about this? Because a feeling washed over me, like ah, back in the cinema, was when someone turned around and shushed someone else. Oh. Someone turned around to to not someone else went shh. I thought, ah, the cinema. I'm back. <laughs> That's why. I, that was it. I was like, the feeling. I just. I don't know why. It was an inexplainable feeling. It just like washed over me, like. Oh, I missed the cinema, man. <laughs> that was it. I, mean, I think the other guy sharp. There was no like fighting or anything. I mean, it was just oh like, God. like shh, turn around to shh. I was like, this is it, man. I've missed this for so long. I know. I had, I, as a small <laughs> tangent, something slightly related to that. I had something incredible happen last year when cinemas reopened. Uh, something similar. There was a group of people that were sat at the back who kept talking all the way through and they had their phones on and they were talking at full volume. They weren't even whispering. And at one, about halfway through the film, everyone was clearly pissed but no one had the balls to say anything because I just sit there passive-aggressively and stare at them every Pissed couple off, of minutes. By the 
pissed off. Pissed off. Not pissed. We're not in America. All right, Jesus. Carry on. <laughs> but um, everyone was sat there, and then at one point, after a while, two people that were sat next to one another turned around and very aggressively, but very quietly, in unison, just went cunts. And then sat back down, <laughs> and the people at the back were quiet after that, and that was it. <laughs> and I was, it was just like that—that's that is that is cinema, that is beautiful. <laughs> that was a sense of being, community. I remember being some woman coming like walking up and walking up an aisle to tell me I might to shut up during a, a during a showing of Exodus: Gods and Kings that was subtitled. And the time <laughs> I was like, just fucking read it. <laughs> oh God. But, you know, I was a twat back then, so I guess that would probably be I. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's quickly talk about A Quiet Place. Now, we're not going to go into detail on here because A Quiet Place 2 is what we're talking about. I imagine that people that are interested in A Quiet Place 2 review won't be interested in, in us talking about a film they've already seen two, three years ago. Um, but, you know, in the double bill, first film we watched is, is A Quiet Place, and neither of us had watched this previously. Um, now, if you're unaware, uh, Quiet Place is a 2018 film directed and starring John Krasinski of uh, the American Office fame. Um, and it is about a post-apocalyptic world where... Um, well, it's it's about uh, the post-apocalyptic world where about, it's about, set about a year into an apocalypse where um, in normal America, um, suddenly um, aliens um, dropped that... Uh, are blind, like they're like kind of animalistic aliens, kind of kind of uh, like like creatures um, that are completely blind, but have like super hearing. So everyone has to keep quiet all the time because if you make any noise, they'll come and they'll kill you. They're just they're super fast. They'll come and they'll kill you. So you know, the, you know, it's within the first five minutes of the film, it shows a scene of a, a kid um, who's with you know the child of the family who plays with a. Uh, a, a toy rocket and it makes a noise and then just as soon as he, the noise comes out just an alien comes out and just eats him um, now of course we're talking with spoilers about this first film we're talking with spoilers so if you don't want to hear that you know just deal with that skip it or whatever but we're talking about Quiet Place 2 we're hmm. to Quiet Place 1 we just want to get our quick thoughts on what we thought of the first film and also give our rating and MVP and stuff because we want to relate that into the next one um, so uh, you were very apprehensive about watching A Quiet Place um, because of the um, horror aspect, you're not a big horror fan, um, which is you know, just you know an understatement. Um, yeah, but, that is an understatement. Uh, watching <laughs> watching the first Quiet Place, um, th- did you think it was good? And also, how did you deal with the horror side of it? Uh, well, I was terrified. I was sat in my seat. Really? And I, well, this is before it started. I was terrified. Right. I was sat in my seat like. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this. I might have to leave like halfway through. And I was terrified. And then it started. And I knew what happened because I have read about it because I was intrigued by it, but I didn't want to go and see it. So I just read what happened in it. But I was still terrified. And it started and it was scary for me. I am a child who doesn't like being scared. It was the scariest film I've ever seen in a cinema to put into perspective how little I like horror really? films. Wow. But... I loved it. It was so good. It was so good. It was one of the best films I've seen in a long time. It was so, There's... so good. That... Have you have you realised that maybe you don't actually hate horror films that much? You've just seen a lot of shit ones. Maybe you actually, well, I think... if you went to the cinema to watch a lot of horror films, there would be a lot of good ones. Well, I think that the thing is, films that are like 
thrillers, like horror thrillers or psychological thrillers, I can bear those, but films like The Conjuring or Saw, that's just an absolute no. That's like, not even gonna attempt that. That level of horror is just no. Nowhere near. Um, right, yeah. I can kind of cope with jump scares, provided that the thing that jumps out isn't a scary thing. Like, if there's a scary face, then I will be terrified and I'll just leave. But if it's just a jump scare where it's like, ooh, someone's behind the door... Have you walked out of cinema before? Like, uh, no, because I, if I go and see a film that I think will be scary, I read about it so I know what to expect. For any reason, have you ever walked out of any cinema already? No, actually. No, never no. Well, actually, I pissed, I pissed on my dad's neck in... in um, it was last week, actually. I pissed on my dad's neck <laughs> when I went to go watch Finding Nemo when I was a kid. So I, I did leave Oh, that no. Actually. <laughs> actually, that's a good... That's a good. I have left a cinema before when I was younger in the second Fantastic Four film. Oh, no, the first Fantastic Four film. I went to see it with my dad, and before it even started, I got too scared, so we snuck into a showing of Madagascar instead. Well... Oh, sad because Madagascar is good, but the first episode four is way, way better. So yeah, but that goes to show how little I like scary films because I was too yeah, scared right. to watch Fantastic Four. But anyway, back to a quiet right. place. Um, of course, of course. Um, I was so impressed by it. The sound is impeccable. Like I know it's a film about being quiet, but I cannot get over how unbelievable this sound is. They make things that are quiet the loudest things possible. Like someone's foot walking on concrete is silent in real life, but in this film it's the loudest thing ever and it's like, oh, just walk softer, just walk a little bit softer. Mm. And it's the way that we uh, go into the... I can't remember their names because they never say their names, but... um, the deaf girl's head when we go into the way that she hears that sound is unbelievable it's so good how we snap in and out of her perspective of sound and everything um and it, the sound is like when they knock over the, the lamp that was like it was like an explosion but all they did was knock over a lamp and that is under i cannot ring the sound designer and editors praises enough they smashed out of the park with this i don't know but i'm just going to assume that they won an oscar for this because if they didn't that's a travesty um but another thing is the cinematography because in a film where you can't talk and use exposition verbally you have to make it visual and you have to tell a story with visuals only and the cinematography is so good at doing that like when we find out that Emily Blunt's pregnant they don't say it we just see her step up and the camera like normally the camera would follow her head but the camera lingers so that we get a close-up on her stomach and it's like oh it's doing that because she's pregnant and they tell us with the cinematography rather than the story and the audio because there is no audio and it, it was so impressive and it was so tense and Emily Blunt in this film is unbelievable when she's giving birth that is just oh my god it's unbelievable I loved A Quiet Place it was fantastic um, A Quiet Place I got nominated for, only got nominated for one Oscar that was sound editing thinking of sound mixing but <gasps> uh, it lost to Beaming Rhapsody it no it did no both both of the sound categories won by the Hennessy, which is a film I haven't seen, so I can't judge it. Um, we live in a society. I'm going to become Cruella. 
whenever I watch Bohemian Rhapsody, I'm going to make myself love it because I'm tired of everyone being mean. Cause it's not even... I don't like Bohemian Rhapsody that much, but even if I loved Bohemian Rhapsody, there is no way the sound is better <laughs> yeah, in Bohemian not. Rhapsody yeah, I, than yeah, in this. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, no, I do agree. The sounding is, the sounding is excellent. So, my thoughts... Um, now, I've heard this hyped up to Kingdom Come. Um, all, all my friends tell me I watch it all the time, um, and they're very, very highly recommended. So I came with this with, with lofty expectations. However, also dealing with the fact that I kind of didn't want to like it because uh, it was directed and starring John Krasinski, and I have a serious vendetta against the American office. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I, I kind of had to deal with that. You know, I'm, an, I'm a British office fan, so I kind of hate the American office. Oh, I love the English office, man. It's the funniest, funniest, one of the funniest programs I've ever I prefer the American um, office. Oh man, he's oh. another new co-host. <laughs> Shit, I hate the American office. Anyway, John Krasinski. So, but uh, anyway, so it's very highly uh, hyped up, and I, and, and I had known the premise. It's kind of a reverse bird box of sorts, um, and um, coming in, and I think uh, from a technical standpoint, uh, firstly, uh, it is absolutely excellent. The cinematography is strong. The editing is. It's very, very, very good, uh, and the sound, of course, um, is so noticeable. Uh, the sound is, you know, one of the better films. You know, obviously, it's the ones that are quieter that you notice the sound more. Stuff like Sound of Metal, um, and and this where it's it the sound is absolutely excellent. It's a very strong premise. Um, it's a very, it's it's not an original idea, but the way that which is done is original. Um, it almost you got to think. I'm surprised that more people haven't done this topic before. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's 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 done in a, a very, very creative way. Um, and you know, I always find I basically never talk about pacing unless it's a good thing, uh, unless it's a bad thing. Sorry, it's a bit like a bit like I never talk about the score unless it's good. I never talk about pacing unless I'm moaning at the pacing. But I think the pacing is very strong here. It's ninety minute runtime, but it feels yes. like it's about ten minutes. Yes. Like the film ended, and I felt like it barely started, and and that's a, a good thing because it, it it was kind of a breeze. However, it kind of brings it into the the, the negatives I had, um, which is that. Um, Whilst I kind of like the idea of what they would, I never really became attached to any of the characters. Now I understand that that's probably because they don't speak, so you know it's part of it. But I just never really became too attached to anyone. I didn't really know who, like the personality differences between them. I didn't particularly care when one died, well, when John Krasinski dies. Um, it, it, I never really felt any real attachment, and I think. I also kind of did wasn't a massive fan of a kind of it didn't really feel like it was going anywhere there was no goal it didn't really feel like a strong narrative it just felt like things were kind of happening and it kind of made me kind of question the point uh, a, a, a bit and I don't know there's it it was just something missing for me that I just I, it just felt a little bit like I was an observer I didn't really feel part of the action to a degree. I didn't really get invested in it because I didn't really see those people as real, and it kind of felt like Emily Blunt and John Krasinski rather than you know their nameless characters. And and I just never, as I say, I just didn't really feel attached to them. I can't complain about the acting. The acting was great. It's just that I just didn't feel like you know they they dealt with the script excellently. But again, there's so much limitation with the lack of speech. But it just didn't really feel like they were, you know. They were the characters I could really empathise with. Do, do, do you know where I'm coming from, or? 
I, I don't. I don't get that. I completely empathise with the characters and love the characters. I know. I feel like I know their personalities. The son was like the reckless, scared one. The daughter was the more brave one who was trying to impress the dad. Uh, the dad was just oh, trying to protect everyone and Emily Blunt was kind of the, the caring mother, but well, the, she the would step up. I think the parents, I think especially, yeah. seem to be kind of just very milk toast. I don't know. They, they, the acting was great, and they deal their their job fine. But I felt that they they didn't have very defined characters, especially the parents. Um, I just felt myself not really empathising with them. I didn't really care about them enough. Um, but I thought that it was, you know, the way that this creates tension is excellent. I mean, it's yes. really really good. Yes, and it's th- like an the entire scene, the rusty. Sorry, you go yes. first. Yeah. Well, it's, this is—it's like that's him in the rusty now, and you're like, oh, oh god, yeah. Dealing with that—that—that that, that, that bit is really hard to watch. Um, and a lot of the time, where they're kind of standing, just listening to, the, waiting for the noises, and just trying to be quiet—you know—there are such such tense moments, um, uh, which is done so well, and it really is a lot more of a it's, it's a proper this is a horror I mean it's a horror thriller but it definitely is a horror I wouldn't would the thing and, and there are some moments where it really really feel unease um, but it just was missing a little bit of attachment to me it, it sounds more negative than I actually think it was I think it's an excellent film especially a technical masterpiece um, but it did miss something for me I I didn't have that missing for me personally but I completely agree with the tension thing it was like if you took one of Hitchcock silent scenes but made an entire film like that it was so yeah, yeah. so tense it was unbelievable I was on the I, I hate horror films I hate being scared but I was sat there like tense all the way through I couldn't like wait for it to be over so I could know what was gonna happen and I could see it unfold and know that everyone was gonna be okay but um I did have an attachment to the characters um I don't know why I did because they don't talk that much but I feel like I got their personality and I feel like I got this pre-existing relationship that they all have um I don't know whether it's because in hindsight I watched the first one and the second one immediately after them but um I I did have that attachment and I thought it was fantastic I it's not quite perfect but it, it was it was genuinely one of the best films I've seen in a very long time and the pacing was excellent right, okay. as well the pacing was excellent yeah, as well like you said I felt like I was in there for yeah. about 20 minutes mm-hmm. um, and it's a very short film it's about 90 minutes long so you know without the adverts you know it's without the, the credits it's like 80 minutes or whatever but, yeah um, exactly which is obviously very short but uh, yeah I think it, it I actually think that maybe a bit more time could have helped that a little bit more it, gave, it felt like it had a bit more of a purpose uh, but I, I think if you continued the quick pacing uh, and just made it a bit longer it probably wouldn't have done that much damage to it I think personally and a bit more time with the characters and maybe establishing them and I, I think also it did, it did feel a little bit like it was just a set of events happening rather than a kind of a goal or something I didn't really know what I was yeah. watching for or looking forward to um, but you know it's it's you know there is a lot of but you know it sounds more negative than but um, we need to kind of get through this to, to get on to the next one so um, and also the child actors I think especially seeing as they're not big names did very, very well there um, yeah particularly so Millicent were, Simmons I think that's her name. She mm. is she's amazing in this. Yeah. Well, I'll talk, talk about the second one as well, actually. But um, if we were to give a rating out of uh, ten, what would you go for for Quiet Place One? Uh, well, before we start, before we do my rating, I just have one thing to say because you said you're surprised more people haven't used this premise, and I was talking to my girlfriend about this exact film, 
before we started recording, and she told me about a film called The Silence on Netflix, which is a Netflix film that was released a year after The Quiet Place, and it is exactly the same plot. It's about right, uh, okay. the world is under attack from aliens who hunt by sound, and there is a deaf teenager who takes advantage of the fact that she's deaf. Uh, so this premise has been milked since A Quiet Place, but no one's done it as well as A Quiet Place. Um, but anyway, my rating of A Quiet Place... Uh, a Quiet Place 1 is a 9 out of 10 for me. Okay, that's very strong. That's very strong. Uh, I'm probably going for about a 7, maybe 7.5 for me. Oh, so wow. A, a, bit, a bit lower down. Yeah, probably about 7. Um, uh, and rewatchability, I think, same with an awful lot of horror films, actually, is that whilst it's, 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 the, the positives to the rewatchability is the, the pacing and it's quick, but it is also a very painful ride. So I think I probably will eventually watch this again, but I'm not running to watch it again. It's a because it, it, and that's a compliment I think of, of to the tension, just how uneasy it is. But I kind of don't know if I want to sit through that again. Yeah, I know what you mean, um, but I think it is very rewatchable because of how quickly it goes. It's because of the quick pacing. It doesn't really give you any time to breathe. It's just we're on to the next thing, we're on to the next thing, we're on to the next thing. So I actually think it's very rewatchable to the point where I'm disappointed I won't be able to go and watch it in the cinema again. Fair enough. Well, you, can, you can watch the double bill again, just watch the first half. There's that, it was only doing the double bill today, I think. Oh, right, okay. okay. Um, right, so, uh, MVP. Ooh. Oh, sorry, I did it, I said the wrong thing. Math, match. Oh yeah, um, <laughs> I didn't even notice for that. The first, for, yeah, for, the, for the first one. Um, now this is tough um, part of me wants to go for the sound part of me wants to go for Emily Blunt part of me wants to go for the editor I'm going to go for the editor of this actually I'm going to go for Christopher uh, Telefson because I think that's Telefson because I think that's a, such a strong part of what makes the pacing good I think it's edited excellently uh, I agree yeah but my man of the match I got it right that time um, would be it's very difficult because I too wanted to pick Emily Blunt and the sound people but the sound people seem so obvious like obviously the sound people are the man of the match obviously oh, yeah, they are obviously that, then give it that. but I don't want to give it to that I want to give it to the cinematographer Charlotte Bruce okay. Christensen because like I said when you can't tell a story with words you have to tell it visually and I think this is a stunning looking film when you can't have sound to make something nice you have to have visuals and this looks incredible and the the way that she moves the camera uh, to reveal monsters the way that she like moves the camera to say like this is something you need to pay attention to i think that is unbelievable so i think she is the man of the match for me mm-hmm Perhaps an unconventional okay. pick for a film about yeah, no, no. sound, but sure. the cinematographer. Yeah, yeah, no, it's very strong cinematography, very strong cinematography, so I don't uh, disagree at all. Uh, so moving on to our review of A Quiet Place Part 2. This is obviously the film that came out this weekend, um, and it's uh, one of the big, big um, films opening up this new round of cinemas opening. This is probably going to be the first film to break a lot of records post-pandemic or, or mid-pandemic, whatever you, you know, whatever you want to say. So... Quiet Play Part 2 um, so obviously spoilers for Quiet Place Part 1 in this but this full Quiet Place Part 2 begins exactly where uh, Quiet Place Part uh, first Quiet Place uh, finishes off it picks up the same day uh, following the events that end with John Krasinski dying at the end of the last film 
and also starts off with showing us um, some of it shows us the first day of the uh, event uh, and gives us details on the um, on the aliens and how they dealt with the first day and how they met some of their friends and stuff but shows the beginning of the outbreak and then flash forward to as I said earlier the the day of the the end of the last film and it follows straight on from there as the main gang um, try and uh, escape their house because it's no longer safe uh, and uh, and they quickly run into Cillian Murphy who was their old friend Emmett from uh, back in, in you know post event days and then they 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 go um, hide at go hide at his place, and a an adventure um, ensues uh, that means that the, the group has to split up uh, and and try and do different things. Now I don't want to go into any more spoilery stuff than that, I guess. Um, but um, I'll start off this time because you start off the last two. Take but it away. I. I wasn't a massive fan. I was a massive fan. I was I was a very big fan, but I wasn't as positive on the first one as you are. But for me, A Quiet Place Part Two gave me everything that I wanted. A Quiet Place One Two. Um, this this uh, this film obviously is. I think is a lot in a name. You know, The Quiet Place Part Two rather than Quiet Place Two is is a great name here because it clearly is following directly on. It's very much a continuation of the same story. And if you were to edit them both into one, that would be a, a fully working film. There'd only be two hours and forty minutes or whatever, and that would work. It, it literally is. Whilst there are different characters and stuff like Cillian Murphy, um, this 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 film feels like the second half of the of, of A Quiet Place, um, and and you know. This film definitely uh, goes more into the action and thriller genres and less so into the horror in the same vein of, I guess, Alien and then Aliens. Um, but it very much goes more into to the thing. And, and as I said, a lack of connection to the characters in the first film, a lack of narrative, a lack of point to, to their actions is very much made up for here. Uh, we get to see more of them in their pre-event lives at the beginning. We get to deal with a lot of very intimate moments, especially to do with Millicent, uh, Millicent Simmons' character. Um, and we get a very clear goal in which they're trying to get to. There's, an, there's a very clear point, and you very much know what your character is doing and what they're trying to every point. There's two subplots, one that's involving more Cillian Murphy and Millicent Simmons' character, another one that includes, that's more to do with Emily Blunt and um, the young boy Noah Dupes' character. Um, and it, it kind of comes into these two, kind of a, a main plot and a, and a B plot. Um, but again, it, it very much it, it, tone, it, it trades tension for action. And and, and 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 drama, and I think, for my in my opinion, I think that pays off. I, I think whilst I love the tension of the first film, and some of that is retained, um, it is definitely lower. Uh, but I think it is worth it because of the the kind of general feeling that is allowed to be shown. Otherwise, I think there's an awful lot more questions answered about the nature of the event and the world, which obviously is going to be. Um, obviously going to be dealt with when you have more films but also kind of asks those kind of walking deady questions of okay you've, we've dealt with the with the event you know the thing of the early series the walking dead it's about zombies once you deal with that it's about dealing with how people are living and that's what a lot of this film is about it's dealing with how societies are formed and how people act and you know the good and the bad of the humans rather than the actual aliens themselves because you can't dwell on that all day and it deals with of course emily blunt's character having a baby 
who you know, which happened in the first one. But I've got a feeling like you're going to say that this was worse than the first one. You're going to say the reasons why you thought it wasn't as good and you know weaker and stuff. But for me, I, I thought this was an improvement over the first one. I really, really enjoyed this, uh, and I think that um, you know that the, the child Emily Blunt is is sidelined for most of this. She definitely is maybe the fourth or fifth most important character in this film, um, whereas she was clearly number one in the last one. But that lets Millicent Simmons. That the younger daughter, the deaf uh, girl, um, really, really takes center stage, and I think she does it absolutely excellently. I think she puts in a, a, a world-class performance for, for a young actor, especially uh, actress, whatever, whatever you want to say, actor, um, one especially one that's not particularly well known. Uh, I think she's absolutely excellent in this, and and really, 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 um, you know, not that, that the other ones bad, but almost outshines as these big, big names. Um, but I will say that Cillian Murphy's also very good in this. Um, but yeah. Um, really, really pleased with Quiet Place Part Two, and I was—I think that I'll be very happy if they—they if they choose to make a third one. I'm not going to say what happens at the end, but it definitely feels like a situation where if another one doesn't come out, we can guess what would happen. But it also doesn't feel like they're milking it if they would make a third one. I think there's definitely a space where we could see the actual events specifically that do happen. But with a wider cast and a bit more of an, uh, a kind of feel in the world, I think Quiet Place Two goes in places that I really, really ha- happy to see the series go. What do you think? Uh, well, first of all, I think that the third one has already been greenlit. I think. Okay. Uh, yeah, that I could sense. be wrong, but I think. <clears throat> but you are correct about my feelings towards A Quiet Place Part Two. I did not like it as much as the first one. Anywhere near as much as the first one, in fact. Which is a surprise because all of the reviews and and you said something briefly before we started recording. Those going to make me think that you agree with me on this. All of the reviews said that Part Two is scarier than the first part. I am a child who hates horror films. Part two was not scary at all, even for me. I was unaware of people saying that. I mean, there are definitely scary scenes. There are very scary scenes and very tense scenes. But overall, it definitely leans into that less. I'm surprised that people say that. Yeah, because I was watching it and there are a couple of jump scares, but that's it. There's nothing scary about this for me at all. And this is coming from me, who was too scared to watch Fantastic Four. So... Like yeah, I, four I, years old. I, well, yeah, that's true. But still, I have no idea how people can say that this is scarier than the first one. No clue. I was wa- I was watching the first one, and I was like on the edge of my seat, nail biting tension, and scared. The second one, I was sat back, laid back, like, oh, what's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? It just wasn't scary at all. For me, the thing that I didn't like about the second one is the thi- for me personally, the things that made a quiet place part one special was Emily Blunt and the sound both of those things are less prevalent in the second one there is a lot more sound in the second one, there's a lot more talking there's a lot more music in the first one, one of the things that I loved about the first one is they knew when to just let it be silent, they knew when to cut the score and just I'd let actually say, silence. in both films, I actually felt that they used score too much, actually, in both films, in the first one as well in both films I felt like it seems was like I would have preferred this if this didn't have any score. But yeah, I felt like yeah. especially early in the uh, I think it's quite early on in the first one. Once they kind of get through like the first two scenes, it starts playing quite loudly, and I'm thinking like I thought this was all about silent. I thought expected it all to be silent. And they quite early on, I was like, I actually don't really like that. that that's one thing I say for both films. I tracked. I wish there wasn't a soundtrack. I don't mind the in, the actual like what's it called in, is it incidental when it's when it's in story, yeah right yeah. I don't mind the incidental music in Quiet Place Part Two because I think it works the story very well. But the actual sa- the the score, I'm not a big fan on in either. I'll say that. 
Well, I think in the first one, I agree, it's used too much, but it's used... I do like it in the first one. I think that it's good, and it does add something in some scenes, but there were a couple of scenes where I thought they could have just played this silently, but I felt like they used the score a lot more in the second one, to the point where I was like, they're, they're taking away what made the first one so special. Like, the thing that made the first one so special for me was the fact that they were in a very, very peaceful environment, where normally I think of being by the side of a river as a peaceful, quiet place to sit and relax. But when you cut to that scene in the first one where they're by the river, the river is like roaring past and it's so loud and they just let it be loud or they let it be silent. In the second one, the score popped up so much and I was like, just stop the score. Because when you take away the fact that this is quiet, when you get rid of quiet, you're just left with a generic action horror flick and I didn't like that as much I the one thing I will say is Millicent Simmons is phenomenal in both of these but particularly part two her character was by far the most interesting in the first one and I'm so happy that they explored her more in the second one I wish that you know there was less talking in the second one and I wish there was less music in the second one because well like I say it just started to feel like they took everything that made the first one different and special and took it all away so you're just left with a monster film where they're running from monsters and they have to be quiet um so I wasn't as big a fan it wasn't as scary I thought that um the sidelining of Emily Blunt was ridiculous because she is the best thing about the first one in terms of acting and performance and story sidelining her and her character I understand why they did it, because she just had a baby and she wanted to protect the baby and stay home, but um, it it was so frustrating to be like, she is like the best thing you've got and you're giving her a supporting role, like that was so frustrating to me, but I understand why they did it. and I feel like I'm being really negative about this. I did very, very much enjoy A Quiet Place Part 2, just nowhere near as much as I enjoyed the first one. Um, towards the end, like I say, it just felt like a generic monster film. It felt like um, there's an episode of Stranger Things Season 2 where they're in a similar situation where they have to get to somewhere, they have to get to a room, and they're being chased by the monsters, and it just felt like that. It didn't feel like something special, which is what the first one was. The first one felt special, where they were hiding from the monsters. In this one, it felt like, we can kill the monsters, we can shoot them in the head, everything's fine, and it just didn't feel special, it didn't feel unique. It just felt like every other monster film that I've seen, but a very very well made one technically again the sound was great but it wasn't as good as the first one um the the cinematography was great but again it wasn't as good as the first one um but the acting especially I the cinematography was as, I, don't, I don't think I think the, well, I don't, you, do you really think the cinematography was that much worse than the second film well i don't mm. I don't think it, well no, I don't think it was worse but I just think it served less of a purpose like I said in the first one they they used the cinematography to tell the story, I don't think they did that in this one, but it did look great again, so I suppose saying it was worse isn't really true, I just think it served less of a purpose um, which is a bit disappointing because I, I expected like, it to be the same, but then again I suppose if they'd have just done more of the same then it would have just been, oh you've just done the same film again so in a way, I'm glad that they did something different, 
Um, I just wish that it that they'd have kept that silent aspect to it and kept it like we can't make a sound, we can't move, we have to stay silent because Cillian Murphy obviously can't speak sign language in this. So when he's communicating with Millicent Simmons' character, he just talks, and that really like I don't know why because he's still whispering and she's lip reading. But there was something about the first one when John Krasinski and Emily Blunt were signing to her that was like, this is different, this is special, this is unique for horror and unique for a monster film. Just whispering isn't... People whisper in horror films all the time. So I didn't feel like it was as unique, I didn't feel like it was as special, I didn't feel like it was as good, but I still loved it and I agree with you about the narrative. It has a much, much stronger narrative um, where, you know, they've got a goal, they have to get to this place and do this, and they've got to do this and do all that. So I did love the story... Uh, I love the plot, it just didn't grab me, I didn't love it as much as I loved the first one, but I still love it a lot I think um, with the thing about the, the lack of the, or the, the speaking, the, the more prevalent speaking in this, um, for me um, was essentially someone that said I had a problem with some of the, the character development in the first one uh, it feels like, you know, it, it's kind of like not being able to drink water it's like you're kind of you're, you're traveling through a desert and you're being able to drink water and the whole first film is you know it's just you, you just haven't got any you're just going through a desert no you know completely dry yeah. and then this film it like it's like it gives you little bits of water and you're like <gasps> you get excited you, know, you think and then it just rips it away from you and I love that's there's there's situations in this film you know not going to, to, to the plot points there are situations in the film where character allows to speak for mean for different little periods of time sometimes they think it's going to be for longer than it is sometimes they know they've got short amounts of time but they're allowed to speak and I think the idea of, of those kind of breaths of, of those little like <gasps> we can actually find like, like oh these characters are allowed to speak for a bit I, that gave me excitement like it was like a bit of a, like um, a breather it was like oh thank god they're finally they can do a little bit of talking <gasps> I finally oh no it's taken away again that that was for me was a bigger thing of like a constant status quo of always never being able to make any noise like that was one of the best parts of the first film is when there's that little break where they can when, when they can talk at the river and getting a few more of those I think really like you know, I think get served for creating the tension later on because you almost know what you're missing. Um, I think there, you know, it's about scary. I mean, it's not, uh, you know, I don't think it's any super scary. I don't think the first film was scary anyway. I thought the first one was really tense. Um, that tension makes it horror. But I do think there are a few moments that are as tense as the first film, especially later on. There's a film, that, you know, one of the last things that happen where you're going, come on, just do it, just do it, just do it, just do it, come on, come on, come on, come on, just do it, just do it. Right into the end with Mr. Sims' character, um, that I think provides that same thing as the last one. Um, but I think that whilst um, the unique, you know, you describe a lot of the uniqueness going away, uh, and I think that is true. I think it does serve a purpose, in, in my opinion, of providing a, a more entertaining experience and a thing that I, I thought was a more coherent piece of cinema. Uh, obviously, we, we clearly disagree on, on some of those points, and you know, you can't argue your way around that. But um, yeah, I think that you know, obviously, that the, this is. A different team. I'm looking at the at the um, at the crew here, and it is there is a different editor, and there's a different cinematographer, and there's a different um, production designer and such. But oh, that is interesting. You know, I didn't that, know that. Yeah, but um, for me, I think it works, and for me, I, I'm going to give it a higher rating than I did for the first film. Actually, uh, obviously, I guess you can you guess that, but I gave the first one a seven, seven and a half, um, probably seven. Uh, I think I give this an eight and a half, maybe an eight, eight and a half. It's in that range. Oh, right. Well, I yeah. think 
obviously I gave the first one a 9. This one just didn't do it for me. I don't think it was... I don't think there were any scenes that were anywhere near as tense as in the first one. In the first one, especially when she was giving birth and she was trying to, like, get upstairs to the bathtub, you know, her waters went she, when she was upstairs. She had to get downstairs to turn the lights on. Then she had to get back upstairs in the bathtub. Then she had to give birth. That was, like, 20 minutes of constant oh my god, what's going to happen next? I didn't have anything like that in this. Like you say, at the end, without getting into spoilers, what Millicent Simmons needs to do, I was sat there and I was like, well, I know she's going to do it. I know they're going to succeed. It's not going to be the kind of film that doesn't have a happy ending. Or, you know. So there was no tension there for me. I didn't find this. There was one tense scene that I can recall, and I won't spoil it, obviously, but it's the scene with the train carriage. That was tense. Other than that... There wasn't really any tense moments because I I knew that it I was going to be okay. I think the bear trap as well. The bear trap as well when you're like, oh, just shut up. Oh yeah, that's true. I guess that was tense. But um, going back to the sound, like you were saying just briefly about the first one as well, I think the best thing about the first one is that there was so few of those moments where they can speak. Like my favourite scene in the first one where I genuinely felt like, oh my god, I can breathe, was when Emily Blunt's just given birth and the fireworks go off and she lets out that cathartic scream and that's like, oh, that must be so satisfying. It's satisfying to hear, let alone like having to give birth silently and then finally being able to just go, ah, and just scream well, and get it out. I don't know if I could deal with that for another 90 minutes. It's like, I think that this is the second part, and it kind of, you know, you've already, especially since we've watched them back to back, you know, it kind of feels like you can't just do the exact thing that you need to change it up, because otherwise we're going to deal with these characters, you know, not showing any of their, you know, like, I think, I feel like, especially seeing the second one, it, it needs that a little bit more, you know. Yeah, I, 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 do, I do see what you mean with that. And like I say, I think maybe I'm glad that they did something different and they didn't just do the same thing again. Because, and now that I'm thinking about it, maybe it was actually a detriment that we I watched them back to back because I loved the first one so much. I was like, right, I'm ready to do that again. Give me that again. And I didn't get that again. Whereas if I'd have watched it and then been able to rewatch it and then rewatch it and then go back to the second one, maybe I would have been more grateful that they changed things up. I'd be intrigued to watch the second one again in a couple of days, in a couple of weeks, uh, having really processed the first one and know that I'm not going to get the same thing again. I'd be really interested in doing that again um, because I am grateful. I, it would have been a bit weird if they'd have just done exactly the same thing again. But at the same time, that is what I wanted because I loved the first one so much. So maybe it was like not a good idea for me to watch them back to back. Yeah, yeah, um, perhaps. As so these films are so suffocating, these films are so claustrophobic that it did make me. I, I did when I left the cinema. I kind of thought and breathe. Uh, yeah. If you're watching them back to back, you know it's very yeah. intense for watching these, these two films back to back. But um, I think I, you know, I think you know because it very much is part two. As I said, it's not number two. It's very much is part two. You know, this feels so connected. Um, yeah, definitely. And I, love, like I, did I it, love films that where the sequel picks up exactly where the first one ended. I love it when that happens. For Quantum of Solace. <laughs> yes, that's true. So <laughs> <laughs> Quantum of Solace. Okay, so what about rewatchability for this one? I think this one, obviously, duh, I think this one is more rewatchable because I think not not only not because I think it's better though, but because of the because la- it's it's more actiony, adventury. It's less horror-y. It doesn't have that suffocating feel that maybe even though I like the last one, 
the, what I liked about it made me not want to rewatch it. I don't have that with this because it is more of a, a narrative adventure, and I will be. It would feel less painful to give it a rewatch. I think. Yeah, I've just realised that I never actually gave my rating. I just started rambling about other things. Oh right, right so yeah. I will uh, go back and say my rating for part two. I will have to sit with this, and maybe I will correct myself. But for now, I think it's a six out of ten. Maybe that a seven, harsh. but it's a six. That now. is harsh. But six. maybe That's in a couple word. of days I will correct that. But for now, right now wow. it's a six, but it is likely to go up. It's only going to go up. Okay. I'd push okay. it to okay. a seven, okay. but for now it's a six. But rewatchability, okay. um, it does have rewatchability. I still enjoyed it a lot, and it definitely has rewatchability. I'll probably go and see it again, which I never thought I'd say because it's a horror film. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think I probably will go see it again because I think I've got a couple of friends that want to see it. Um, because again, this is the one of the first big blockbusters that has been released post-pandemic. Obviously, Tenet didn't do well, um, but this and Cruella are probably two of the biggest films that have come out during since the pandemic started. And so, yeah, you know, this week has been that, great so. for new films. Mm, mm, yeah, definitely. Um, okay, so moving on, uh, I've got a feeling we're going to give the same man in the match. Potentially, yeah. Shall I go first with this one? Yeah. Yeah, go first. Uh, my man of the match is Millicent Simmons for this. I think my she drives this film. My man of the match is Millicent Simmons, of course. Yeah. True. Big shout out to Silly Murphy, though, who's always good. Yeah, he is great in this. Yeah. Um, and it's great to see him without wearing that stupid fucking hat and doing a stupid silly voice. Because I love Silly <laughs> Murphy, but I can't... I just... Oh, Peaky Blinders just sends me the wrong way. But, um, Never actually seen an episode of Peaky Blinders. No, it's just it's not for me. It's a little bit too cringeworthy for my life. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I hate there's a group of people, especially and there's people that are in my year that seem to like obsess about like pretending they're they're in it and they go out dressed in, like that and stuff and it really. Oh gosh, that way. sounds cringy. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like, it's, yeah, um, I'm Peaky Blind in here. But yeah, um, I still can't get it. I can't. I still can't. Yeah, I think Cinema is excellent in this film. I, again, I, as I, I think he's excellent in everything, and he's, he's he, even in Peaky Blinders, he's good. Um, but it, as he, he never gets to play an Irish character, but I always I think never, that. I I can't not think of him as Irish all the time. Like I can't. It's like Gary Oldman. I kind of <laughs> believe he's American by the end of it. But he looks so Irish. He's the most <laughs> Irish-looking man ever. Like you're trying to tell me he's from like the Midwest? It's like yeah, bollocks to it. <laughs> I know exactly but, what you mean. <laughs> I don't know. I've ever heard him. I don't think I've ever heard him speak an Irish accent in a film. I can't think of any. Like I don't either. Stuff, he's Every exception. Time. I remember the first time it. I heard him speak, and it was like, he's Irish. He's Irish. Yeah. Apparently, he was in in time. I can't remember him in that film. I, I don't remember, remember it. I have seen. I watched in time in an English lesson once, and I don't remember him having an Irish accent. No, I don't remember him having an Irish accent. I'm just saying he was in that film because I forgot that he was. In oh that right, film. I, I thought you were saying he had an Irish accent in that. That film. film is that film is always in the back of my head. Like I really liked it when I was a kid, and I know that if I watch it now, it won't be good because everyone thinks yeah. it's not good. But I liked it a lot as a kid, and I kind of want to keep that. But it's such an interesting premise in time that I kind of feel like I have to because it's like that's such a cool idea. Yeah, they but, should. They yeah. should give it a remake, but make it good. And not have Justin Timberlake. I actually, no, to be fair, I was gonna say not to have Justin Timberlake because he's an actor, but I actually do like Justin Timberlake, and he's very good in the Social Network. So yeah, that's true. Um, and Amanda Seyfried's great. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course, of course. 
Um, Next week, we'll do a full in-depth review of Justin Timberlake's filmography. <laughs> Mamma Mia. I thought it's you were just it's Oh, yeah, that's it. We're doing Mamma Mia. We're doing a musical week. <laughs> I, I, somebody asked me to... One of my friends the other day asked me, oh, do you want to come watch Mamma Mia with us? I was like... I assume you said yes. No. <laughs> I was like, no, I'm right, thanks. <laughs> and then they were like... And then they, they called me out a bit later. And they're like, oh, um, when are you busy? Because we're watching Little Women as well. And, you know, that, that's like... You're, you're like that, wouldn't you? like no actually I'm quite famously don't like Little Women <laughs> oh, I've missed that one but that pretty much wraps it up I think um, so thank you very yeah. much for listening um, we will, I don't I don't know what's out next week I don't High School know Musical Special <laughs> do you know do you know what's out next week is there anything out next week um, I have no, I think The Father is finally out in the UK Yes, the father's finally out. Maybe we'll do the father. Maybe we'll do the father. I'd like to talk about that film again, and because I've yeah. got a very controversial opinion about it, um, which is I hate all old people. Okay, so <laughs> thank you very much for listening. Uh, if you want to follow me, you can do so by on Twitter at Sam H Media, and you can follow Lewis at LJWR Tweets or is it LJWR no, underscore LJWR underscore. Right, and you can follow me on Letterbox at Sam Houston and uh, Lewis at LJWR. You can follow the pod. I mean, that's, if you had to follow one person, follow the podcast, and that's now. It's at now showing pod. Before it's been now showing film, we've changed it. The at is now at now showing pod on Twitter. If you want to contact us, you can do so at nowshowingpod at gmail.com. Um, if you want to help uh, big up the podcast, you want to help the podcast uh, improve, increase uh, in listenership, the best way to do so is, of course, by giving us a five-star rating on iTunes. Or you can, of course, give you uh, paypal.me uh, slash samhuson2112. Of course, you can give me a private donation. Uh, I'm sure that will go towards the podcast. Um, <laughs> we are proud to be members of the Music City Driver Network. You can check out their website for podcasts on films like our, ourselves and the Film Optic podcast and the Music City Driver podcast themselves and many others. And there's also music podcasts like the 50 Years of Music. There's also the uh, there's Fantasy Football uh, Roundtable if you like your American football. And there's loads more. Uh, hopefully, we'll be collabing with them uh, and and other members of our network uh, more in the future uh, and you can check them out on Twitter at, at mcdipod uh, thank you very much for listening you can check us out uh, wherever you're listening to this uh, next time uh, sometime around this week and look, sometime around this time next week that kind of made sense see you then boys bye bye thank you again <laughs>